Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In this episode, we discuss Canopy Growth Corporation, one of the world's largest sellers of medicinal and recreational cannabis. This is likely an unfamiliar industry for you, and it was for us too. Cannabis products are becoming super popular around the world and come in all different shapes and sizes, from chocolates and lollies to muscle creams and capsules. There's even pet treats to help with your cat or dog's joint pain. Join us as we break down the science behind these products and what the future of the industry looks like. This is a super enjoyable episode, so keep listening until the end. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Albert. Albert, how are you going? Dan, you know what? Going pretty good. Had a cute little dinner last night. I like this uh, theme of talking about how often we've seen each other on the pod, so just throwing it out there. Good dinner last night. It, It was a good dinner. We both weren't aware that a belly dancer would come out at eight o'clock to some very loud, audacious music. Um, I tried to avoid eye contact so I wouldn't have to get up and dance with her, but it was a good time. Did you enjoy it, Albert? Yeah, just like the awkward white dudes dancing was pretty good. (laughs) I was surprised by how good everyone was at dancing. I need to brush up on my moves. It's all Um, that TikTok that people have been watching. (laughs) Uh, This episode, we're going to be discussing the pitch for Canopy Growth Corporation, a marijuana and hemp business. As with every week, we'll start off with a summary of the business. We'll then discuss what's driving its revenue, trends in the industry, and competitors. We'll finish the episode with our overall verdict on the company. Um, So Canopy Growth, I, I wasn't aware of them before researching for this episode, Albert, but they're headquartered in Canada. They cultivate and sell medicinal and recreational cannabis and hemp through, they've got a portfolio of brands. Um, It's probably for our North American listeners. They might recognize Tweed, Spectrum Therapeutics, Craft Grow. They primarily operate in Canada uh, and they have distribution and production licenses globally though, particularly in Germany um, to drive its expansion. The big ticket item for them is perhaps moving into the United States and they hold an option to acquire Acreage Holdings, which is an American business, and they're just waiting on US federal cannabis legalization, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, They're currently trading at $26 a share. They're a sort of a high growth business. So financial year 2018, the revenue was 78 million. Financial year 2019, 253 million. Last year, $439 million, so pretty steep growth trajectory in revenue, but not profitable by, by any stretch of the imagination at the moment. They really churn through their cash. Albert, where do you want to go to first in discussing uh, a cannabis company? Yeah, this is interesting, Dan. I feel like this is probably left a field for businesses that we look at on this pod, um, but it's good to try something new. So I guess I want to kind of dive into... Um, what Canopy Growth does in terms of, you know, the products it sells across recreational and medicinal cannabis. But I think what would be really good, Dan, and I know you've done a lot of research on this, so I might throw it back to you, is maybe talking about um, 
CBD and THC, which are kind of the underlying um, compounds within cannabis and hemp, um, just to provide an overview of how they're different for our listeners. Yeah, so for our listeners, the, the main thing you need to know about a cannabis company is you have the products which you see on the shelves in the stores, and then you have what you might think of as like the technology behind it, but it is, you know, the active ingredients behind those products. So what you'd see on a shelf are things like um, gummy bears, edibles as they're called, chocolates. You could have uh, soda drinks, soft drinks. You could have creams, so topical creams that you put on your shoulder or something for inflammation. So you have all these different products, but they have different active ingredients. So from the cannabis plant, you get two active ingredients. One is CBD, which is cannabidiol, and the other is THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. So these are the two active um, ingredients or extracts that come out of the cannabis plant the thc is the one everyone thinks of and knows of which is the psychedelic uh ingredient it's what makes you feel high it's what makes you feel intoxicated cbd is a different extract and that's what's the current research is a bit hazy but that's what's currently thought to provide all of the medicinal benefits uh where it can help with symptoms like epilepsy and seizures pain and inflammation, PTSD and anxiety. And you can think of it as it doesn't have any of the intoxication effects. It just sort of relaxes the body. You can't overdose on it. If you have a really high dose, it'll feel like maybe stepping into a hot bath and you have a really relaxed feeling throughout the body. Um, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done, but you can just sort of divide it along those two lines where THC is that psychedelic High CBD is the more medicinal relaxation purposes of the product. And that means that when you look at the different products that you see in your stores, like your topical creams, your soda drinks, your edibles, they can have a mix of those two compounds depending on the effect that the consumer wants. So you might have edible chocolates with a high THC content for the university students out there that want to get a high and have that sort of effect. Or you could have a gummy bear with a high CBD content, which will give no high whatsoever, but will have you know, allegedly pain relief um, properties for, for someone who's after that particular product. So that's a, a quick primer for our listeners to understand the differences and some of the, the things that Canopy Growth is bringing to the market. Yeah, I like that it's not um, binary. It's not one or the other. It's a spectrum which enables you know Canopy and a lot of other cannabis providers or production makers to offer a range of products that are kind of fit for purpose. So, you know, if you're trying to target a particular type of consumer, say it's university student, let's not discriminate here, Dan. <laughs> um, stereotype. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stereotype. Uh, and you, you, you're trying to get a high, you know, you can buy a product that's really fit for that. Alternatively, if you are, you know, a patient who is suffering from a lot of pain and you're looking for something to help relieve that pain, if you're looking, if you're an athlete trying to um, recover from an injury, like there's all these different products on that particular spectrum of THC to CBD that you can start to address. What that actually looks like for Canopy, it's kind of a number of range of products they segment out into what they call dried flowers. So this is the dried flower um, of the cannabis plant that you get. Um, if you've ever bought um, 
weed before it, pot before it's like the flowers you get in the bag, the dried bud that you then roll into a joint. Um, so they sell the dried flowers both at a B2B channel, which is they start to sell to government agencies and authorities who then on sell that recreationally to consumers. But then they also sell that directly either online or through um, different channels. They've got oils and concentrates, um, which are predominantly used for medicinal purposes. Um, back to your point, Dan, have different ratios of THC and CBD to meet the purposes of customers. But, you know, these oils are really then used in other parts um, of the medicinal process or um, smelt, rubbed on their body, etc., to help with pain relief. And then they've also got soft gel capsules, um, which is very similar. You know, it contains the oils, but are kind of used for ingesting pills um, containing cannabis or THC and CBD, again, for a range of either medicinal or recreational purposes. Then what mm. those things, because they're quite nebulous, actually look like from a product perspective, um, you know, a range of things like the traditional joint that you can buy and smoke, um, cannabis products such as beverages, you talked about chocolate. They've also got a range of jewels, smokes, vapes, um, you know, stress relief boosters, um, creams that you can rub on. So they've got this kind of range between trying to get a high or a recreational cannabis drug to what I think the industry seems to be moving towards, which is wellness and health that's enabled by THC and CBD. So it's interesting, Dan. Um, I'm looking at the kind of breakdown of their operational financial metrics. And, you know, this might be a shock to some audience members, depending on um, whether you do or don't buy <laughs> um, pot. But the average price per gram for recreational for Kenobi is about $5.60. But if you're trying to buy medical um, cannabis, it ranges from, you know, $7 per gram in Canada to internationally. So the UK and Germany, it's the markets they play in, about $48 per gram. And it comes back to both this idea that regulation really drives the sales of medicinal cannabis, particularly in markets where it's not completely legal. It's only legalized for very specific uses, particularly medical uses. But also... Um, you know, the extra effort it takes to then start to concentrate THC and CBD from the flowers into the soft gel capsules. So there's kind of additional refinement and processing that then leads to greater overheads, which probably drives the limited profitability that these businesses have. Yeah, I'm not sold on, I'm not sold on what's driving the limited profitability of canopy at the moment because what i can see is a lot of overhead costs which uh, you might not think of when you think of a weed business which traditionally has a bit of a, a dark um, business model but when brought into the light it looks it's extremely scientific so there's some youtube videos uh, which explore the plant operations and, and how it happens and as they say it's not um dreadlocked, tie-dyed hippies growing the stuff. You've got people in lab coats. They're horticulturalists by trade. So um, their job is to take different variants of the plant, which would have different levels of THC and CBD, depending on what they're, they're looking for. They would crossbreed them, create a crop, harvest the crop, 
test the crop for what they they want to use it for and then if it's if it's not right then they'll do that process all over again it's a form of research and development which is extremely plant heavy and requires a lot of systems um, products and plants around so you need a building which has facilities fit for purpose all to produce these crops and that can be incredibly uh, money intensive so there's a lot of startup costs within there which affect profitability the way to profitability is scaling up where you get the right product and then you just market the hell out of it you get all the you get a nice margin on it and then you just scale it up as as much as possible what i see as a, a difficulty for canopy though albert is that they don't seem to have found the product and i don't think that's necessarily that they should have found the product by now i think the consumer base that they have isn't certain on exactly what they want out of these uh, weed products, for back, for lack of a better word, cannabis products, because you've got all these different... They're selling the same thing. They're selling either CBD or THC. It's the vehicle for it which is different. You know, Is it vapes, smoking? Is it edible chocolate? Is it edible gummies? Is it a gel capsule, like you know, a Panadol pill or something like that? Or is it a topical cream? You've got all these different vehicles, what is essentially the same product. Albert, do you have any ideas on how that trend might continue in the future? Are we as consumers going to settle around a particular vehicle for it? Because I think at the moment what we're driven by is uh, an almost gamification of the marketplace where they're trying to create a brand image which is not the typical person smoking a joint in a dark alley. And so you have all these really fun um looking products but i think at some point we're we're gonna settle on on a couple of these and the rest will sort of fade into the background yeah i wouldn't say it's a lack of focus but you're right you're you're, you're constantly testing and refining with customers as to what the product is and it's unfortunate that because you've got this spectrum that they play in which is cbd and thc and all the products that sit within that and then once you you know choose the mix of either the two You've got what you said, all the delivery models that then go into that. Um, you've just got all these permutations of your product, which when you start to look at the value chain of how cannabis products are made, you know, cultivating, growing plant, manufacturing it, testing it, doing research and development. Um, if you don't land on the right product, you then dispose it. If you land on the right product, you've got to then scale it, deliver it, um, sell it, etc. Like there's too many opportunities to miss, which then leads to a blowout in costs. I think to answer your question, Dan, is like where I think the future goes. It's it's just too hard to tell with some of these products because they're so purpose built and consumer driven. You know, for Canopy, they've uh, chosen a few areas that they want to play in. Vapes, beverages, edibles, topicals, and skincare. Like to me, that kind of indicates they're moving away from, you know, recreational joints and trying to push, for lack of a better word, up market towards uh, wellness or more expensive cannabis products like beverages. Um, you know, you're trying to push towards a, a, for lack of a better word, a more positive view of how cannabis products can help around sports performance and recovery around pain relief 
around stress relief. Edibles, you're really trying to normalize um, how cannabis is consumed. You know, you're shifting away from someone in a dark alley and bringing a more positive uh, view of who's consuming cannabis. Like you can just be sitting on the couch watching even Netflix and you want a tiny high to go with that or you want a bit of, you know, stress relief or et cetera. Topicals, skincare, like they're trying to focus on positive viewed products in order to normalize cannabis use. I, I slightly disagree in that I, I think Canopy is actually a tale of, of two cities, to put it that way, in that you have their local business and then you have their global business. And in their local business, 80% of their you know, recreational sales, their revenue is the dry bud, is the joints, is the smokable cannabis. So I, I think that that, goes a little bit away from your point that they're moving fully into these consumer goods. Um, their local market is really driven by the dry bud. But when you flip it to their global sales, it's 73% of the oils and soft gels. Um, so, so they've really got a split product mix depending on whether they're selling locally or globally. And that definitely is dependent on what the restrictions are. I'm sure that if they could... I mean, I'm sure there's regulations that they can't export dry bud globally, except for medicinal purposes or a very restricted range. So that's what's limiting them. Um, so I'm not sure when the floodgates open, if say cannabis was legalized completely tomorrow, what their strategy would then be? Would they want to continue this product mix? Or would they want to focus on a couple of areas? The main point I would make though, is when you have such a broad product mix, naturally there's a lot of inefficiencies because you can't you know purpose built your equipment for one product and one product only you can't purpose fit your supply chains for one product and one product only you start operating at lower levels of of scale because you've got so many different products you know maybe you're producing just random numbers a million gummies a million chocolates uh, a million creams whereas if you were producing three million chocolates you start getting price breaks from your suppliers who give you, you know, lower margins um, or higher margins actually in the end of it because you're operating at a larger scale. But you can't get those efficiencies when you've got such a differentiated product mix. So for me, a big thing for Canopy is in the next couple of years, I, I'd want them to restrict their product range. And that relates then to their branding because you start to be known for a particular product as opposed to, you know, a jack of all, all trades. And what I found interesting when looking at their strategy, and I know you've, you've looked at this too, Albert, is that there's a line in there where they want to go from being um, first to sort of being best in class. That's sort of part of their strategy is, you know, they, they, they were a first mover into cannabis products, but now they really want to start taking market share as a go-to cannabis uh, product. How do you see them doing that? And what kind of strategies would you adopt for that, Albert? Their, their product mix that you've been talking about is kind of a, a legacy item in how acquisitive they are in building scale. Like we haven't talked about this yet, but Canopy as a business is really interesting in that it's actually quite acquired quite a few other cannabis businesses and cannabis related businesses like Spectrum Therapeutics, Tweed, Tokyo Smoke, etc. But in addition to that, they've got this other part of the business that acts as almost like a growth capital or a venture fund that um, incubates or funds other cannabis businesses. So while they're trying to also 
grow their own business. They're serving as an ecosystem player to uplift all the other businesses by providing growth capital uh, or venture um, or incubating these businesses. So where I see them kind of focusing is, um, maybe this is a bit of a disagreement, Dan, but I, I don't necessarily think the recreational part or the flower bud to me is particularly attractive because you can't differentiate your product when you're selling en masse to, you know, Canadian governments, which is their predominant B2B sales customer. Like they're, you're, you're trying to compete based on price or based on stock or availability rather than going direct to consumer and differentiating with, you know, a best in breed product. Um, the Canadian government doesn't care about a best in breed flower bud. They, they care about regulating and supplying through provincial authorities. Whereas if you're an athlete or whether you're trying to buy medicinal cannabis uh, or whether you're trying to buy, you know, beverages, flower vapes, edibles, topicals, you probably care more about a differentiated product, which to me is the more attractive part of the business. So as Canopy start to consolidate their portfolio of companies that they've acquired, start to consolidate, you know, the number of investments they've made um, through their venture growth fund, um, where I see them starting to move is to become a full service, a full product suite, really focused on these non-flower bud products. I don't know if that's the right frame to think about them, but products that use cannabis, THC, CBD, but integrate with everyday normalized products, chocolate, beverages, creams, etc. We can already see them doing that, which is why I think you're, you're spot on. So towards the end of last year, they opened 305 retail stores across Canada, which is, is kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. That's uh, With COVID-19 pretty much you know, still ever-present, they opened up 305 retail stores, which is a sector and an industry which I think is incredibly hard hit um, by the effects of COVID and the after-effects of COVID. Uh so they haven't taken off, I think, as much as they would have liked. They've seen depressed sales because of COVID-19. But it shows that they're very bullish on their strategy, which is um, having a B2B business and then essentially empowering that through a, a very um, present B2C business, which promotes the brand. So they have you know, their tweed brand very present in a, in a mode which is available to consumers which then promotes the brand, promotes the industry as a whole, cannabis products, which is which is very necessary. They need to cultivate the industry as much as they cultivate their own business. So I, I totally agree. I think they are going really hard at promoting their business um, in a way which is then going to facilitate their, their product mix, their full suite. But we go back to at what point do they sort of really come down on, on certain products um, in, in some of their reports, they've mentioned how they've had an unfavorable product mix um, due to, at some points, you know, an increased demand in dry flower products or customer demand in, in pre-rolled joints, vapes, uh, edible chocolates, combined that of holiday promotions. So they're really at the whim of consumer sentiment. And as you, you briefly mentioned earlier on, 
what's the downside of if they get the product mix wrong? Well, you're left with like, you know, hundreds of thousands of edible chocolates, which, which are just stuck in storage because no one's buying them at the moment, for example, or a whole bunch of vape capsules, which aren't being bought. And then you have storage costs on top of that. And you might end up having to, to throw it out or sell it at a heavily discounted price, which then diminishes your brand. So there, there's no good options from not getting the product mix right. You know, this to me is kind of like the unattractive part of the business. You're talking about all these different products and not getting their product mix right, or they've got an unfavorable product mix. Like, is the most unattractive part of selling cannabis actually producing a cannabis product? Like, if we haven't talked about the value chain a lot of depth, but if I go through it quickly, you start at cultivation, which is growing your plants either in a greenhouse, which takes a lot of energy, or outdoors. Then you start to either manufacture that, you know, extracting the oils, etc., or you dry it and distribute it. So in the case of recreational flower buds, you then dry your cultivated plant and then you sell it to, you know, either the Canadian government, you sell it to other um, B2C providers. If you're manufacturing and extracting the oils for something else, um, you then need to go through that manufacturing process, testing, extracting it. And then you start to produce it into, you know, a chocolate or beverage. But all those later downstream steps are so intensive in terms of labor, capital, testing, if you don't get the right product. And then once you do get the right product, you then have to manufacture it into chocolate. So then you have to go ship it. And for Canopy, they they make their chocolates or they're planning to make their chocolates in the same factories. Um, they make Hershey's because they want, as you said, like best in breed cannabis chocolate, um, best in breed bibs CC. <laughs> um, but like to me, that's kind of an unattractive part of the business. So where, where I do want to see them is one, how you start to solidify um, where you play from a product perspective, but also like where you play in a value chain. Like, like do you just call the cord at manufacturing? And once you work out, the right mix across the spectrum of THC and CBD, do you then start to license that out to other providers or other manufacturers? Um, because making chocolates, making beverages is just so intensive from a capital perspective, but also from a distribution perspective. I think that's right. And I think when, when I mentioned at the top that they're basically selling a product, which is not cannabis, it's THC or CBD, that in its sort of reduced or extracted form, it can just be like an oil, um, which you can pop a couple of drops into a beverage and now it's a CBD-infused soft drink or a CBD-infused chocolate. So it could be really less intensive for them if they partner with a Hershey's, a Cadbury, a Coca-Cola, whatever else, and basically they just provide this extract which just gets dropped into a pre-made product and then sold out as being a Hershey's chocolate plus canopy CBD or, or something like that. It'd be really cost, low cost intensive. It just comes back to the branding and marketing of it all because I'm not sure if some of these brands will want to... It, it's an unfair trade. At, at that point, Canopy is getting the main benefit from adding on to the brand of a Coca-Cola or a Hershey's who have very established brands, established consumers. So what's the way you even up that trade? 
see uh, Canopy would have to be selling them that there's this whole new uh, range of consumers who not only won't think less of a Coca-Cola or a Hershey's, but will provide a whole new avenue of consumers to grow their revenue through through these uh, consumables. It's a bit of a hard sell at the moment. I don't think the demand is is that great at the moment. But you could convince me in 10 years that maybe there is a growing acceptance of cannabis products, which then leads nicely into a discussion about legalization, Albert. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think on, on this last point, though, I think this is why they're, they're so big on this ecosystem play and why they're investing and in purchasing other organizations is you want to try to normalize cannabis products, both from a consumer perspective, but also from a, a legislator, regulator perspective. The only way to do that is to increase penetration of these brands, companies and market, which is why they're providing capital and incubating other cannabis businesses who may be competitors, but also could be great partners for them because it unlocks more opportunities and opens more doors. Yeah. So in in the United States, it's a strange mix where on a state-to-state basis, um, marijuana or cannabis is is legalized, but on a federal level, it's it's illegal still, and that really restricts, particularly if you're a foreign organi- a foreign company, uh, importing or exporting. It goes down to even some tangential aspects of of a business. So a bank, for example, won't be able to give them credit or credit cards because they're a company associated with a, an illegal substance in the United States. So there's a lot of obstacles, a lot of rules and regulation that wouldn't have to be wound back for them to really operate in the United States. Um, and so that's what everyone's waiting for. It's a big break, breaking point. As an example, or as an illustration rather, the US market's expected to be about 10 billion US dollars. Um, Canada for Canopy already has about $2.1 billion Canadian dollars in sales. So it's a market which is, you know, 5x what they're currently doing. So it's just a really impressive growth avenue for them. Some of the founders of, of these companies are hoping for legislation changes in 2022. As a lawyer, I tend to take any anyone's guess as to when legislation will change and then add a couple of years on top of that. So I think there's still a bit of a runway there, which is worrying because it's not just that like you can wait for these things to happen, snap your fingers, it's go time. As a business, particularly one which has to get a lot of these uh, facilities in place first, there's a massive lead time. And ideally you want to know well in advance so you can set up these products so that when things go legal, you can start producing from day one. I just don't see that happening. Um, and you you can't justify to your shareholders or your, your business investing so much capital in something which isn't certain yet. So yeah, that, that's a big red flag for me. Um, and I don't think it's something that can be resolved until the legislation changes, which is like a real just yes, no proposition. Yeah. And with any consumer business, you know, you're always, almost always going to be restricted by like market size or population because you want to go where there's the most people. And so when you look at the US where you've got kind of a fragmented approach to regulation, you've got 
India and China who have varying levels of regulation or they've got their own products. Particularly in China, it's not legal at all, but um, probably won't be legal for a long time. Like, I, I just don't see really strong uh, regulatory, uh, loosening of regulation across the world, which then restricts both the industry's overall growth, but also particularly the growth of canopy. Like in, they've got a, a European presence, but in Europe, you've already got a very crowded market and a highly competitive market because weed's been legal for much longer than it has been in the US and Canada. Yeah, and just talking about some of the growth numbers for last year for Canopy, the growth rate was 23%, which is great, very, very respectable. Compared to some of the growth stories that we have in tech companies and elsewhere, it's not the rocket ship that really gets investors excited. It's it's just like, oh, it's, it's pretty nice. And that's why getting into other markets, particularly if you're an unprofitable business, which they are at the moment, like you need the potential of future earnings to really uh, make people comfortable with your lack of profitability at the moment. Um, and as you say, talking about some of those competitors, just taking a, a, a clear example of the beverage industry, they have a really large competitor in... Um, Let me pull this up, Saren. They have a really large competitor in the cannabis-infused beverage sector. Um, so it's Hexo and Molson Coors have got a joint venture called Trust CBD. They've got about 43% of the market compared to Canopy's 34% in Canada. There's other players here. And it goes back to, I think you were mentioning, a differentiated product, Albert. If your product is just like an extract, it's CBD or something like that, it's hard to differentiate because a consumer will rightly say, what's the difference between this CBD and this cheaper CBD over here? You really need like a, an offering, which is why it goes back to like, if you've got a corporate partnership with a Hershey's where you're the only partner with Hershey's, um, that can provide that differentiating factor. Alternatively, if you're producing your own chocolate and you come up with this really great tasting edible chocolate that gets a brand and a following of its own, that's another way. But those are really hard. Those aren't easy things to accomplish. Yeah, especially when you're playing towards the THC end of the spectrum. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on like the trees subreddit where they talk about, you know, weed, pot, etc. But, you know, they're like diehard and they can, they can tell you all the differences between different strains. But if you're generally just someone who's you know, using THC for a recreational purposes, you're not going to be that, uh, what's the word? You're not going to be that concerned about what the type of strain is or the differentiation between strain because you're just chasing a particular high. So I think differentiation really has to come from the CBD aspect because you're targeting a particular purpose and then want to differentiate for the purpose, whether it's, you know, medicinal cannabis to help with pain relief whether it's uh, cannabis to help with sports recovery or wellness or creams, like you need to have a highly differentiated product to win in that market, um, which, it, you know, is tough when you have to go through all these hurdles to build a differentiated product, you know, R&D, growth, testing, manufacturing, etc. cetera. So um, broadly unattractive to me um, across that spectrum. 
Yeah, a great example, at least in Australia, is you know the comparison with paracetamol, which is you know the the substance which helps with headaches and provides a little pain relief and that sort of thing, but branding it as Panadol, uh, and you could go and get a cheaper product which has the exact same active ingredient, which is paracetamol. But a lot of people associate the brand Panadol with the product and they'll buy it for that reason. I think that's only possible when you have a laser focus on a singular product and you promote it, you create the benefits of it and you sell that to your consumers. Canopy doesn't have that because they got this entire suite. So it's just a different model, um, which is hard to create that really differentiated product, which has an active ingredient which is not proprietary, but you sell it in a way which is very unique and a branded product. This is this is almost a really interesting point to end on, Dan. Like you talked about Panadol. Panadol is almost ubiquitous with like paracetamol or headache relief. Like I'm not going to go pop a paracetamol. I'm going to go pop a a Panadol. Like you ask people for a Panadol rather than a pain relief tablet. Like do you see a world where someone asks you for, you know, like a bit of word, a canopy um, as, a, as a pain relief tablet. Like, does, is, is there a world where a weed or a cannabis product becomes ubiquitous with a particular purpose? I think there's absolutely that world. Whether they have the business model and the strategy to make that happen, I'm skeptical because they're, they're playing in too many different fields. How I would do it if I decide that was the best approach is they're at this really interesting intersection where you think of current trends just happening throughout the world. They're at an intersection of health and well-being supplements, which is a huge market of itself. That that natural, it's not a, a drug formulated in a lab. It's you know comes from the rainforest of the Amazon, something like that. And then you have anxiety culture which when I first read about this, it did actually strike a chord with me where it's anxiety is becoming a very present theme in today's narrative just across so many different things. Politicians are talking about, you know, if they, if they are stuck in any sort of crisis, uh, even if it's of their own making, you know, they're going to take mental health well-being leave. It's just become really ubiquitous in our culture, um, this focus on anxiety. And you've got CBD, which sort of sits at that really nice intersection, you're not going to recommend uh, some lab-produced drug to your child uh, to deal with their anxiety. I don't think we're there yet with with a cannabis-derived product, but you could see a world where maybe instead of you saying cannabis-derived, you're saying an all-natural product, uh, plant-based or something like that, which you might feel comfortable giving to your 16-year-old child or something like that. So that intersection is really, really interesting to me. It's just, it, it comes into like, they need a, a Don Draper or something, like a master spinner marketer to, I think, really help their products. And I haven't seen any indications that that's the way they sort of lean as a business. Yeah, I think this is a good point to end. I'm looking forward to the the champion of cannabis emerging. Yeah, and it just, it can't fit into the stereotypes. It, you know, you can't have... You know, sorry to play on it, but you know, someone in dreadlocks and a tie-dye T-shirt promoting these sorts of things. Um, you know, who's going to be what Elon Musk is to Dogecoin and Bitcoin for the cannabis industry? I think it has to be someone who's really, really successful. Probably has a backstory where cannabis has really transformed their lives. There are interesting 
stories around this. I think, you know, I read this on a website which was slanted very heavily towards uh, legalization, but a story of um, a a young girl who had um, epilepsy, suffered from hundreds of seizures every month, and now it's down to three seizures every month because of CBD products. Those sort of stories, I think, can resonate with, with, with a lot of people and be very powerful but I haven't seen a concerted effort to market it. But let, let's let's wrap up there, Albert. What's, what's your verdict? Yeah, overall, I think the industry is attractive. I think what's attractive is licensing, um, you know, your research and manufacturing or your outcomes of your research, sorry, um, to other brands, like a B2B provider rather than a manufacturer because that to me itself is unattractive because of the capital costs. To me, it, it's quite attractive because I, I like some of these narrative cells, something where I can really tell a story behind a, not only a company, but the industry which they play in, the products that they sell. And even with, you know, I think there's some doubt over some of the facts and the research which comes out about these, these cannabis-derived products, but there's enough there that you can drive a really compelling story about why it's good for the world to have these cannabis products, why these companies can can drive change. And you see that this is actually part of their company ethos in that they have a lot of um, community-focused programs built in where they take some of their their profits and and drive it into community projects. Because I think unlike some other businesses, they have to be conscious of their brand from day one because of the product in which they sell in. So for me, I'm I'm really keen on the industry as a whole. It's been really interesting to research. What's holding me back is is the regulation point. Like I to me, I'm I'm not a huge first mover. <laughs> I don't need to move into something before anyone else ever thought of it. I would be particularly keen once legalization comes in. It's an even playing field, and then being able to pick who I think the winners out of that are going to be. Nice. Let's um let's wrap up there. All right, Albert. Let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. Please support our podcast by rating five stars on Apple iTunes. You know the rest. Every follow and rating really helps us out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.